It is good to be back at First Friends. I am so excited. I have to say that, as I already mentioned, this was the longest we've been away together alone since we got married a number of years ago. And so I really enjoyed having a Sunday off more than I normally do. Usually I'm like, half of me is like, oh, I should be there. You know, oh, what I, you know, this is what I would have been saying if I'd have been there. This time it wasn't like that. I was just like, they, you know, they'll be fine. We're just going to enjoy. Actually, we were driving back all day last Sunday, 15 and a half hours in the car, I think. But it was, it went fast. Not because we drove too fast, but because it just went fast. So thank you for letting us go. This morning, we're continuing on in our series in James called Authentic Christianity, Faith in Action. And we're turning this morning our thoughts to what James says about the issue of anger and preaching about what James is talking about and really our need for self-control, allowing the Holy Spirit to tame our thoughts and our reactions to life and to others around us. I don't do this with an apology, but I do this with a hesitation. And here's my hesitation. Every time in my pastoral ministry that I preached about anger, I have made people mad. Every time I preached about anger in a church, someone got angry at me. I don't mean that they may have necessarily got up in anger and left, but I heard about it later. And so and asking the Lord, whatever I, whatever I may have said in the past that made someone angry, uh, if I don't need to say it this time, keep me from saying it. But at the same time, I said, Lord, the other side of that is if I need to say it. Help me to say it. But we're not planning on getting angry about the message this morning, right? Unless we need to. Unless there's something in our lives that God is calling us to get angry about, it probably isn't because the preacher, it's about something that's going on in life that God would call us to. So we're all going to learn to continue to love each other and enjoy this time that we can share together. The Bible says this in the book of James. This is our text this morning. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. You got your notepad out? It's kind of what he's saying. It's time to take notes. Write this down on the heart of your life. If we could memorize any two verses or three verses, maybe this should be the ones that we commit to memory. He says, every one of us. Oh, man, there's another one of those sermons that's for everyone in the room. Don't you hate it when that happens? It is so much easier when it's for the person across the sanctuary from you. It's so much easier when it's the person five rows ahead of you or six rows off to the side. But when it's exactly for you, man, there's just something that, that makes, maybe makes you angry. I don't know. Everyone should be quick to listen. Slow to speak and slow to become angry. Because human anger does never, I'm going to just change that, never produces the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word that is planted in you which can save you. I just want to be clear this morning that James is not saying don't ever. He didn't say that. He says, Allow yourselves to be seasoned by the Holy Spirit so that your first reaction was what we talked about a couple weeks ago, to listen. And then he says, you know, I did give you two ears and one tongue, so you should probably listen at least twice as often as you speak. And then once you get your listening skills down, and once you're able to bite your tongue, maybe as hard as you need to bite it, then maybe it's time to act. And then he says when it's time to act, Make sure that you take extra care to not let your lack of self-control take over 
and do damage that may never be repairable. Jesus got angry. We all know the story of Jesus in the temple. Saw the kind of materialism that had overtaken the house of God, and he said, I've had enough. And I haven't really ever heard anyone effectively criticize Jesus for that. This holy of holy, this sanctuary dedicated to the presence and the power and the work of God had turned in a place where God's people had decided that making money was more important than helping people worship in the presence of God. And Jesus had had enough. And there is a kind of righteous indignation to the wrong kinds of worship and the wrong kinds of attitudes that certainly would cause us, should cause us, to get frustrated and upset. But the best quote that I've ever read in all my life about this issue is on the screen, written by Aristotle years ago. And he said, everyone gets angry. It's, again, something for all of us to think about, something for all of us to pray about, something for all of us to ponder. He says, every one of us gets angry, but to be angry with the right person, to the right degree, at the right time, for the right purpose, in the right way, is not easy. And how many of us can look back on our life and say, boy, isn't that true? I just wish that I'd have kept my mouth shut. I just wish that I'd have taken a deep breath. I just wished I'd turned around and walked away. I just wish I'd done anything but what I did. And a man of great wisdom from another era speaks words and truth into our life that is so often so needed in our world today. Because, as we'll see in the video, sometimes anger is one of our favorite things. And is that your secret that you're always angry? <laughs> Sometimes we feel like that inner green man is ready to come out. And it's just a fact of human nature that the reason that the Bible says self-control is a fruit of the Spirit is because without that kind of fruit growing us, that, that monster is ready to come out whenever we're tested. And I saw that this week, and I was like, man, i got to play that, because sometimes that is so true. We're like the Hulk, you know, and, and if you've seen that movie, you're like, man, don't say that around him. And you got to make the perfect environment and protect him from anything that might stub his toe, because you never know when he's going to go off. And he blows up into this big monster in the middle of a spaceship. You're all doomed. 
And the danger for you and I in our lives is when we allow that kind of anger to fester and to grow and to cause bitterness and resentment and, and lead to grudges, then, then everyone has to walk around you with, on tiptoes. So the next time you're at a family gathering and people are walking around you like this, it might just be because of that. But we're going to take a few minutes this morning and look at the life of Moses uh, four different events in his life, and you all know them. This won't be new to anyone. It won't be a strange story. All of these things that we've learned about Moses' life are, are very known to those who've been around the Bible very often. And the first time that we see Moses is um, in Exodus chapter 2. If you want to turn there, you can. Exodus chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. And it says that one day after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people, looked around to make sure no one saw what was going on. He killed the Egyptian and buried him in the sand. He's about 40 years old, watching a defenseless man be punished. It was unfair, it was unreasonable, it was unjust. And Moses has let his anger take over, and he committed an act of murder because he couldn't let his righteous anger about something that was wrong come under control. So he got sent to the desert for 40 years of (laughs) self-recovery. And it shouldn't be missed in this story that that killing an innocent person, beating an innocent person, is never okay. And it'd be a far different story if there was an account in the Bible of this up-and-coming leader in God's movement who was sitting in the desert one day and watched one of his people being beaten senseless, and he goes, ah, at least it's not me, and just kept on going. I don't want to get angry. I don't want to get upset. I'm not going to let anything bother me. Eh, no big deal. Any of you have television seen anything like that in the last 10 or 20 years? Someone beaten senseless, someone who was unfairly, unjustly beaten, attacked or shot or accused or whatever it could be, you name it, we've seen it. And how many times do we go, well, that wasn't the channel I was looking for, click. It seems to me that there must be some kind of balance in this story, that there was a different way for Moses to handle the emotions and the pain of what he was witnessing than to kill somebody over it. And sometimes in our lives, because we're not really sure how to get angry the right way, because so often of the time we get angry in the wrong way most of the time. And I'm preaching, to my, I'm preaching the sermon to me as much as I am to anyone else. It is hard to know how to get angry in the right way, at the right time, to the right amount, with the right person, for the right reason, as Aristotle said. But James doesn't say, so bottle it all up and never have feelings. He says, let your anger be slow to rise, so that when you about injustices in your world, that you handle your frustration, you handle your feelings in a way that is glorifying to God and pleasing to him, and then won't get you thrown out in the desert for 40 years of wandering around by yourself. Moses Moses was having a real struggle in his life. We're going to talk about a few other moments where in his life he really battled this. The second part of Moses' life that we see is when he was confronting Pharaoh. You know, the story of the plagues and God 
told him, I'm going to be with you. And Moses said, I don't think I can do this. What am I supposed to say? We've preached to you about this. And so God says to Moses, you tell them come in the name of the great I am. You tell them that you come in the name and the power and the authority of God, and Pharaoh better do what you say because God has told you to tell him what to do, basically is what was happening. God's already told Moses it's going to work out. God's going to already told Moses that Pharaoh would eventually obey, and you know how the story goes. He goes time and time again, but at the very end, in between the ninth and the tenth plagues, Moses gets ticked. He just loses it. And so even though God had said, your job is to say the message and I'll take care of the rest, Moses goes out from that one meeting in Exodus chapter 11, verse 8. It says Moses is hot with anger. He is hot with anger. And he comes blasting out of that place. And I wonder if God could have said to him, hey, you know, you don't need to get mad at him. All you had to do is go and tell him what I'm going to do. And then leave. But I think Moses got tired of the, of the rigmarole. Moses got tired of putting his life on, on the line. He got tired of being in ministry for so long with nothing happening. He got tired of the, of the ridicule of those in the palace guard who was like, well, here he comes again. He's probably going to say the same thing he did the other eight times. Yep, there he goes again. Just get out of here. Find a real God who will follow through with you. All the accusations that probably came Moses' way, he was done. He was like, you know what? This isn't working. God isn't doing anything. Be the dumbest leader the world's ever had. I'm done with this. The Bible says he comes out of that place steaming with anger. Another time in Moses' life is when he's with God alone on Mount Sinai. Now that... Seems like a really bad start to a story about anger, being alone with God on a mountaintop. But the Ten Commandments in the law, God has literally written on wooden, on stone tablets. And he's given them to Moses, the very handwriting of God. You know the story, Moses comes down the temple and the people, the people built the calf, right? They built the golden calf and they're committing all kinds of idolatry, and, and the Bible won't even go into all the things that people are doing. It was some sick stuff. They turned their worship to God into a golden image of a calf, and Moses saw all of that, and this is what the Bible says. He turned and went down to the mountain with the two tablets of the testimony in his hands, Exodus 32. They were inscribed on both sides, front and back. They were the work of God, the writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. Can you imagine carrying a book that was written with the very finger of God? Verse 19 says, So Moses approached the camp, and he saw the calf and the dancing, and his anger burned. The Bible points it out really clearly. His anger, man, it just came to the top. The Hulk was there, man. That green monster had come out again. And he takes the stone tablets, and he throws them on the ground. Now, this, you know, as this book that he had, you know, I don't know exactly how big they were. We really don't know. And he just, man, he just, hard as he could one time. But some of the, the writers that I said, now that wouldn't have done it. He picked up the pieces that were left and he did it again. And he did it again. You know, it's like your three-year-old throwing a tantrum. He just obliterated that stuff and it took more than once. But he wasn't done. 
He took the calf that they'd done and he ground it in the powder. Remember, he sprinkles it out on the water and he said, drink your own medicine. He flipped out. None of this was God's plan. This reaction was not a Holy Spirit-led reaction. Moses had, again, had it with these people who time after time after time had one day without food or a few moments when Moses went to be alone with God and it, they just couldn't handle it. And the fact that they were, that they were leaderless for those few moments and the, the fact that they couldn't handle themselves for a few hours without Moses, the babysitter leader, to be there for them, the fact that, again, they'd proved that no matter what he did and no matter what God did for them, they had so far to go and probably a whole lot of other thoughts that he had. He's like, you know what? I've had it. Every time the, the, the Bible records, it seems, Moses is coming up with something going wrong. With someone letting him down, with someone hurting him, he, he just goes into a rage. And he causes consequences that he can never control. God says, you know what? We, they need another copy of that book. So you chisel out the two stone tablets. That wasn't an easy task back then. And then I'll take over and we'll get those words back down. Since you destroyed what I originally created. You know, how many times have we destroyed in our reactions the image of God in our life? The testimony that we have as believers because someone hurts us, someone attacks us, life goes wrong, and we blow up and we lash out. And we cause those people in our life that we say that and we say that we'll be there for to question the God that we claim to love and to serve. I'm so grateful that God didn't say, you know what, get by without the law, get by without the Ten Commandments. He's like, well, I'll take care of it. You're going to have to help me this time. So the last picture we see in the life of Moses is when they're on the edge of the land of Canaan. Years and years have gone by by this time. And they, you know, 40 years before, they couldn't go in because of their lack of faith. All that time has gone by. They've been wandering around forever. And we get to Numbers 20. And they're out in the desert. This is what the Bible says. The first month of the whole Israelite community arrived at the desert of Zin. That sounds like a bad place to be, just the name. <laughs> and they stayed at Kadesh. There Miriam died and was buried. And there was no water for the community. And the people gathered in opposition to Moses and to Aaron. Let's not miss the fact that someone he loved died. And how grief and pain and difficulty in our lives makes it so much harder for us to watch over our heart and our spirit when things are difficult. So they quarreled with Moses and said, if only we had died. And here they go again. Oh, we just should have died way back then. Our life had been so much better if we just died years ago. And basically, Moses, you've been wasting your time. You wasted our time. You should have just let us die back there. And all this stuff you've been doing has been a waste. God doesn't care about us. You don't care about us. We should have just, you know, be dead. Why did you bring us to this desert so that we could all die here? 
Why did you bring us out of Egypt to this terrible place? There's no grain, there's no figs, there's no grapes, there's no pomegranates, and there's no water to drink. And for Moses, it was the same old whining. It was the same old sad story, whining and griping and complaining, and he'd heard this a thousand times. And at this time, once again, these people had pushed Moses to his limit. And in a very different, strange way, the green monster came out. The Bible tells the story this way. Moses and Aaron went from the assembly to the entrance to the tent of meeting and fell face down, and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. Things are going really well right now. The Lord said to Moses, God is speaking. Take the staff. Listen to his instructions carefully, because Moses didn't. Take the staff, you and your brother, and gather the assembly together. Speak to that rock. Only speak to that rock before their eyes, and it will pour out its water. It will bring water out of the rock for the community so that they and their livestock can drink. Pretty clear directions, right? Go up in front of them, speak to the rock. They have water. It takes 10 seconds. How many times have we failed to follow God's directions as simple as he makes them? Take the rock, speak to the rock. Water comes out. Everybody's happy. You all go into the promised land together. So Moses picks up his rod, which God had told him to do, goes out to the people and gets angry. He gets angry. And this is what the scripture says. He took the staff in the presence of the Lord, just as God commanded him, and they gathered the assembly together in front of the rock, and Moses spoke. I'm not sure how much he read that passage of James that said, be quick to listen and slow to speak, and slow to become angry. He turned it around and say, don't listen to directions very well. Get angry really quick and make sure everyone around you knows about it. I think I've seen that in my life a few times as we walk life together. And this is what Moses says to them. Listen, you bunch of rebels. So now we've got to make water come out of this rock too, huh? When did God give Moses the command to be scathingly angry at his people? It didn't come from God. It wasn't directed by the Lord to give these people a lashing out. It was Moses' idea from the very beginning. He wanted them to know how upset he was over their behavior. He'd had enough. Sadly, though, in Moses' mind, all of this that God was about ready to do was up to him to have the strength to do it. It wasn't, so God's going to have to do this for you again. It was me and my brother are on the spotlight again, and you're putting all this pressure on us, and obviously they couldn't handle it. At least Moses couldn't. Brimming with hostility, Moses lashes out to this people who God had commanded him to gently provide for by God's grace. So it says in verse 11 of that passage, he raised his arm and he struck the rock, not once, but twice, just so everybody knew who had allowed the water to come out. And the Bible says God followed through on his part. Water gushed from the rock and the community and all their livestock drank. And as so often is the case in your life and in mine, when we get to those moments where we fail to exercise self-control, stuff happens. 
The stuff that we say damages people, and the consequences go on beyond that moment into the future. And God speaks, and he says to them, and to Aaron, to both of them, because you did not trust in me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will never bring this community into the land that I have given them. And the saddest thing for me is what in the the lives of these leaders, it was the only dream that they had. It was the promise of God. It was the provision of God. It was the power of God revealed in their deliverance all these years later. The very thing they had been looking for their entire lives to was taken away from them because they failed to honor God in those moments where they lost control of their own emotions and acted out of those unrighteous times by hurting the people around them and failing to teach them about the holiness of God. And that really was God's biggest concern, not that they got upset, not about striking the rock the wrong way, but because of those actions, God's name has failed to be honored and glorified and lifted up as holy and pure. And it only became about Moses and Aaron, and no mention of God was even made in that address to those people. And I wonder if you and I could just take an honest moment together to think back at the times when we've gotten angry. It might be this morning before you made it to church, on your way to church. If We were talking about road rage at the men's thing yesterday while we were working on the shed and and uh, it might have been while you're driving to church, someone cut you off. I was reading a story this week. This guy was driving in Arizona, I think, and, and a guy on a bicycle cut him off. And he was so upset that he got out of his car and shot him in the neck and killed him. Just some of the smallest things can set us off. We were talking, and I remember when I did drywall a lot, and you'd go mud in the walls, and, and someone would come up, and it's clearly bright orange. It's just been put on, and they get ready, and they go, I wonder if that's wet. No, don't touch it. Stop. You're going to ruin all the stuff that I just did and how quickly it all becomes about me and my possessions and my things, my right of way, whatever it is. When was the last time that you got angry at the right person and the right reason, at the right way, at the right time for the right purpose? Because I'll be honest with you in my life, those times are very few. And the times when I got angry at the wrong person for the wrong reason, at the wrong time, in the wrong way, is the majority of the time. And Moses stands as an extreme example, but a reminder for you and I that when we come to those iconic moments in our life where the lives of the people that we invest ourselves in flash before our eyes or theirs. The way that we respond to those moments not only affects us, but the people around us as we walk this journey together. And so James points deeper than our attitudes, and I'm just going to close our time with this. He says, so, because all of you were taking notes, remember he said, you know, pay attention, take notes. Be quick to listen and slow to speak, and slow to get angry. If you're like me, taking notes like that, I get done with that and I say something like this, God help me. 
because I'm just a man in a fallen world. And how many times do I need to go back and repent for what James later calls a lot of bad stuff? Get rid of the basically the immorality in your heart that causes you to react this way because there's a whole lot more he's got to say to us. And if we can't get this down, I'm not sure how much else we can really grasp of the Christian life. If God's unable to work with us, at least to some point, to help us to control what's down inside. Get rid of all that moral filth that entangles you so that you can know fully the salvation that God has planned for you. That's what James says in verse 21. Have you ever had a time in your life where God set you down? Don't think he cashed out in the desert for 40 years, but he set you down and he calls you whatever he calls you. He says, Pete, you really screwed up. Yeah, God, I, yeah, thanks, I, I know. <laughs> Sometimes I didn't know, and I was like, yeah, you're right, Lord, I, I really screwed up. Do you want to do that again? No way. That was my response to God. So, Lord, what was it inside of me that caused that to come out? Was it that it had to be my way or nobody's way? Was it that they didn't have the right to talk to me that way? Was it the fact that they should have kept their mouth shut and I'm angry because it's all their fault? Was it the fact that I was exhausted? And I was weak. And in that moment where I was just barely able to keep my eyes open and function, that I just wasn't able to handle that moment. The idea here is not to condemn ourselves out of our faith and out of our spirituality. It is for the Holy Spirit to give us enough time to be, listen to his voice And as the psalmist says, to ask God to search our heart and to see if there might, by chance, happen to be some humanity left in there, some wicked way. And essentially what the psalmist says, help us to turn from that and follow God's direction. How many times in in my life and yours have we had to do that? A lot. And you know it's going to happen again, and again, and again. As long as we're alive, this passage stands as a reminder to each and every one of us to listen very carefully to God and to the to make sure that before we say a word, we have allowed the Holy Spirit to breathe into us and to allow the Spirit to flow through us to the point that when we come to that moment where it's either the green monster or grace, we allow God's grace to throw through us. Maybe it's to say nothing. Maybe it's to do nothing. Maybe when you want to smack him, you should hug him. Maybe when you want to run towards him, you just need to turn and walk away. Maybe you need to say a quiet prayer instead of what really is on your mind. And it could be a thousand other things in our life that as we face this journey together. 
But as we have communion now, we're going to ask ushers to come and we're going to share together. Aren't you glad that Jesus provided the way? By his sacrifice, we are healed. By his sacrifice, Jesus did for us what we could never do for ourselves. And we stand humble before him this morning because we know that he's provided a way through this that we could never have on our own. So we're going to ask you, um, if you are partaking this morning, to come and the ushers will serve you. So everyone.